Six o'clock, this is the SAFM Market Update with Money Webb. Hilton Tarrant with you on this Friday evening. Tonight, the gap between power demand and the electricity supply last night was perilously low. Just more than 100 megawatts reserve on total demand of 33,000-odd megawatts. Chris Yelland of EE Publishers on the state of ESCOM's power system. Things don't look too good for when uh, the real winter hits. Tonga Chief Executive Peter Stauder on record earnings for the sugar producer and its property developments business, which is picking up strongly. Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth with us to make sense of the markets on a day where the JSC ended up slightly. That and more to come. First, here's the news. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Permits to be granted to semi-skilled workers from neighbouring countries and two arrests after British jets escort a Pakistani plane. Good evening, I'm Greg Hose with the news at 6 o'clock. Semi-skilled workers from neighbouring countries will be able to seek employment and work in the country before the end of the year. The Department of Home Affairs says a proposed SADC job seekers permit will legitimise thousands of illegal foreign nationals. Home Affairs spokesperson Jackson McKay. These are people mainly from our neighboring countries coming into South Africa looking for work. But because we do not have appropriate permits for them, our work permit is for the high-end skill. And because we do not have a permit for the low-end skills and people want to go into an area of work that is not covered by the permit, they want to come work in restaurants in South Africa, hospitality industry, we don't have such a permit. The Defence Minister Nosafiwe Mapisankakula has admitted that South Africa had indeed deployed troops in countries around the Central African Republic, including the DRC and Uganda, shortly after clashes that led to the deaths of 14 soldiers. At the time, government denied reports it had deployed troops in the two countries. The minister says soldiers and equipment were put at the ready in case there was a need to evacuate soldiers based in the Central African Republic. At the time when people wanted this information about whether we were deployed to strategic areas around that area, we could not confirm it because we had our people there who were vulnerable, who could have been attacked. We can now explain about the deployment of those strategic airlifting capabilities in those areas, that they were part of the 400, they were meant to assist in the evacuation. The IFPs called for more police visibility to prevent xenophobic-related attacks disguised as service delivery demonstrations, which result in the looting of foreign businesses in Gauteng townships. Demonstrators have used the opportunity to go on looting sprees of foreign-owned spaza shops in Everton, in the province's Val Triangle. Twenty-three people have been arrested after they attacked shops. The IFPs, Bogan Lamini. What they are doing now, they are compromising their strike, which is genuine, about service delivery, because the whole thing started as a service delivery protest. But now, those elements who are now looting the shops of foreigners, it's really not acceptable, it's unacceptable, it's also violates their human rights as humans, because we know that they are in this country because of problems that they have within their own countries. Therefore, we condemn it in the strongest possible terms as the ISP. We cannot really tolerate such behavior. Authorities in Mpumalanga have called on Mozambique, Swaziland and Zimbabwe to assist in the fight against rhino poaching. Over 350 rhinos have been poached countrywide so far this year. The Mpumalanga Community Safety MEC, Vusi Shongwe. 
the issue of rhino poaching is an international issue because it involves other countries like your Asia. Hence, the market is so rife in the neighboring countries, particularly your Mozambique and Zimbabwe. We agreed with the Mozambican government that we must work together in making sure that we kept this particular program. And we are almost successful in dealing with those particular areas because the number of poachers were arrested in the province. The majority of them are people from outside South Africa. Two men have been arrested on suspicion of endangerment of an aircraft. This after a Pakistan International Airlines plane carrying 297 passengers was diverted to Stansted Airport east of London after security scare. Fighter jets were scrambled to escort the plane. The BBC's Richard Galpin. With it on the ground, that allowed the authorities then to have a greater ability to find out what was happening. The important thing, I think, is that, as we've now learned from Essex Police, they have been able to gain access to the aircraft. They've been on board. There have been, they say, these two arrests of these two men on this suspicion of uh, endangerment of an aircraft. Who they are exactly and what the reasons are for the arrest, I think, are still among the uh, uncertainties that we're grappling with. The top story, semi-skilled workers from neighbouring countries will be able to seek employment and work in the country before the end of the year. Well, ESCOM says power usage this evening is expected to be high. Listeners are urged to continue to use electricity efficiently and to switch off all non-essential lighting and appliances between 5pm and 9pm. In its energy-saving tip, the power utilities ask consumers to switch off all appliances that have a standby mode every time they leave the house and before they go to bed. Well, the next news updates at 7 o'clock. I'm Greg Hose. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Thanks, Greg. Six minutes after six o'clock, Hilton Tarrant with you on the market update this evening. We'll uh, hear from Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth in just a bit. First, the business news. Tongard Hewlett reported a 15% rise in full-year earnings on Friday as sugar production rose. It said it expected further growth in the year ahead. The company reported headline earnings of over a billion rand for the first time. Total sugar output rose by 9% to one and a quarter million tonnes. Meanwhile, it said the environmental impact assessment and preparatory work for its proposed 80-megawatt renewable energy power station was well advanced. FNB, the retail banking unit of First Rand, said it wants to find a black executive to replace Jacques Lier when he steps down as head of business banking at the end of this year. Chief Executive Michael Yordan told Bloomberg today the position he's vacating. I hope to fill it with a black CEO. He added the bank is committed to transformation. It's part of doing business in South Africa, and it's the right thing to do. Salia, aged 41, will take over from Yordan, who announced his resignation two days ago after a decade as FNB chief executive. And Finance Minister Pravin Gordon and Mining Minister Susan Shabangu are meeting leaders of mining companies today. The Chamber of Mines said the Chamber could not provide the meeting's agenda as it had been arranged on short notice. Built Newspaper reported this morning that unrest in the mining industry ahead of wage negotiations would be discussed. It reported that chief executives from Anglo-Gold Ashanti, Sibanye, Harmony, Anglo-American Platinum, Impala Platinum and Lonman would attend. Turning to the markets, the JSE's All Share Index up one-third of 1%, 40,998 points. Industrials and financials positive on the day. The Rand 9.59 against the dollar, that's weaker, 14.47 to the pound, 12.39 to the euro. Gold at $1,388 an ounce, platinum $1,452 an ounce and a barrel of Brent at 102. 
SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Well, Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth, topsy-turvy. Yeah, I mean, the market... It's actually showing signs of sort of a toppish type of behavior, I must say. And it goes to the 4142, you know, two months ago it went down, now it's back up again. And then today it was very flat and then some reasonably good news came out of the American economy. And then the market picked up that little one-third right at the end there. Rand uh, weakening in the past hour or so. It was at 9.55 almost all day today and now mm. out to 9.58, 9.59. Yeah, look, I must admit I don't understand the RAND. There are very valid reasons as to why the RAND should be weak, mainly the current account deficit, uh, but it's actually too weak. And this is almost a lone voice in the wilderness saying the RAND's totally oversold and is going to possibly strengthen because the conventional wisdom out there is that, you know, the RAND's just completely messed and is just going to deteriorate forever. You know, it's happened before to us and the RAND's actually strengthened thereafter. So I, I, I still sort of uh, put my hand up for a little bit of rain strength over the next six months or so. Not much to speak of across the market. Uh, we saw selective buying in retailers. Uh, stocks like Mr. Price up nicely. Uh, Truitts was up nicely. And then others uh, lower. The Fashini Group uh, lower. We saw JD Group under mm. some pressure. Able under renewed pressure. Yeah. Stock down 4%. Yeah, look, this whole Able started a, a, big, a big concern about the furniture retailers and the, uh, all of the debts and uh, unsecured and all of that stuff that we all know so well. But then Lewis came out with good results, and mm. that sort of said, well, okay, well, maybe it's not all that bad. So those shares have really been up and down enormously, quite, quite frankly, and very difficult to read. I still think no matter how much value these things are showing, no matter how high the dividend yield is, I think you've got to stick – a little bit clear of, of of Able. But, you know, maybe Lewis, I mean, it's what, Lewis is at a massively high dividend yield. Maybe that's all right. But we know for a fact that the best days are long gone in the micro loan stroke, unsecured loan stroke, furniture credit market. We know the good days are well behind you there. But, uh, you know, the good days might be behind you, but if you can buy a share at a, you know, virtually almost a double-digit dividend yield, you know, that's not a bad investment over time. I guess the question really begs to be asked, and, and one that I guess is occupying the minds of all the all the smart fund managers. Uh, yes, Lewis is conservatively run. Yes, they run a tight ship. Yeah. But you know whether or not this is sustainable over the next twelve months is, yeah. is the big question. Now, look, you can't escape. No matter how good you are, you 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 can't escape the overall tide, and the overall tide is going out on the on the on the micro loans. That is for sure. When 52-week highs on the market, Coronation, we've seen that one up there now at 62 rand 10 a share. Omnia, we've seen that one up there recently as well, uh, over 173 rand a share today. Uh, famous Brands, uh, yet another all-time high. That's at 94 rand a share, up 2% today. It reports on Monday, and I'm guessing yeah. that uh, markets markets wanting something quite no, spectacular. No, look, look you've you got to show a reasonably good set of results uh, to, to justify the rating of the share. But I actually think it's I, I actually think the rating is justified. So I don't think it's going to dis- disappoint about that. But I mean there's a there's a very good rule of thumb there. All we've got to do is ask David Shapiro to tell us when he stops going there for lunch. <laughs> because the, then we know that you must sell the share. PAUP ratio of thirty one. Thirty one, yeah, it's not shy. Not shy, but uh, I guess if earnings catch up, that number's going to Yeah, the number can come down. And and good high quality companies should have a high PE. 
Now, whether the high PE should be 20 or 30 or 40, that's always debatable, but it should have a, have a, have a high PE. Now, they've, they've, issued, um, they've actually issued a, a trading statement saying that earnings are going to be up, call it 22-odd percent. So the market knows this, and it hasn't punished the share. So obviously the market thinks a 30 PE is the right number for the 20% growth in, 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 in earnings, and, of course, all the goodwill attached to the brand, etc., etc. Thoughts on Tonga Hewlett? Look, they've actually brought out a good certain result, sugar production's up, but these are highly cyclical companies. Eh? Agricultural generally are still a little bit clear of, of agricultural companies simply for that. But if you want to see a major beneficiary of a weak rand, all the costs are in rands, revenues in dollars. Because this is an international mm-hmm. price. Essentially, they get paid in, inter- in international price because everything's marked against the import parity price. So, I think it will be a, a very big beneficiary of, of a weaker rand. But, you know, 13 PE for a heavily cyclical company that is subject to so much. It's not, I don't think it's a screaming buy, but it's probably a reasonable buy at, at this price. But the sugar production stats going up were, were actually quite, quite positive. Unfortunately, the price of sugar, I mean, this thing can vary 50% either way in six months. Mm. So it's very volatile. I spoke with Peter Stader, the chief executive, earlier today, and we'll hear from him at about 20 past six this evening. What is interesting is that because they've got operations here in South Africa as well as Zimbabwe and Mozambique, uh, they're almost pro- they're protected against against any you know continued downside with the cyclicality. Mm. One year Mozambique will perform strongly. One year South Africa yeah. will perform strongly. But their biggest single variable is the dollar price per pound of sugar, which they've got no influence on, obviously. And that, and as I said, that thing can be heavily cyclical. Just uh, finally, Wayne, uh, the poultry producers. Uh, we saw a note yesterday that Alan Gray now holds 15% of Astral. Uh, RCM and Omega own significant holdings in Sovereign Foods, and Oasis holds a significant holding in Rainbow Foods. Yeah. So some these big are bets. real. These are real value type of investment holdings. I mean, these poor chicken people have been destroyed by really seriously cheap imports. I mean, to quote it, I think I've said it about four times on the radio. Whitey Besson can import chicken pieces, frozen chicken pieces, cheaper and land them in Luanda than he, from South America than what he can get them from the South African chicken producers. But Wheatland definitively helps these guys as well. But I mean, if you take Astral, I mean, I know the earnings are suppressed. I know they're having a tough time. But this is still a 24 PE company. I know it's on lower earnings. It doesn't seem – I would still rather steer clear. I mean – you can make a fortune. These things can rally seriously. But all that's got to happen is you get another super bumper crop out of South America and the prices stay depressed forever and costs are escalating all the time. Your margin is, is squeezed. I mean, I don't even think they've got a margin anymore, essentially. Wayne McCurry is with Momentum Wealth. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Well, ESCOM warned us in its state of the power system that things would be tight this winter. We weren't quite sure that it would be uh, this tight. Chris Yelland of EE Publishers joins us now. Chris, looking at uh, the data provided by ESCOM for yesterday, uh, capacity of 33,874 megawatts uh, for last night with estimated demand just 132 megawatts Less than that at 33,742 megawatts. Those are some razor-thin margins. Certainly, they are really quite surprisingly uh, uh, tight. 
you know, Eskom defined tight as when there is less than 2,000 megawatts in reserve. Well, we're getting to situations where there's less than 100 megawatts in reserve. So things are not only tight, they are very, very tight. Just to remind our listeners, uh, ESCOM is doing planned maintenance this winter, which it hasn't done in the past couple of winters. Uh, it says it simply cannot defer that maintenance any longer. What worries me is that if we look back at last year's uh, demand graphs, uh, demand towards the end of June, beginning of July, was a good 2,000 megawatts above what it is today. Mm. Well, it, it, it is true. Uh, I think the Department of Statistics have indicated that, in fact, uh, Demand is actually slightly less um, this year, um, and, uh, and and that's quite surprising. But I think it's a it's a sign of the economy. Um, it's also a sign that perhaps Eskom is constraining growth uh, through the electricity supply, uh, and uh, of course, uh, if um, economic growth is down, uh, so demand for electricity will be down. Um, but you see, at the same time, uh, Eskom's power stations are getting older, uh, which means uh, they don't run uh, with the same uh, level of availability. Um, so uh, there's more maintenance required as, as these uh, stations get older. And Eskom have indicated that this year they're not going to defer maintenance. They're going to take out about 2,000 megawatts um, during the three winter months. Um, for maintenance. That means uh, a total of nine generator units, um, and I presume they're going to spread that out over the three months, so typically three generating units out of service for, for scheduled maintenance. Um, and that's giving, uh, you know, re- reducing the supply side uh, by 2,000 megawatts. So it's really a very serious situation uh, we're facing this winter. Just looking at at these figures and uh, at these demand spikes, it is worth obviously driving the point home that this is peak demand. So really in the evenings between 5 and 9 p.m., ESCOM has told us that before. During this time, they are running their open-cycle gas turbines. And even with with that added power, very expensive power, I might add, uh, we're still hitting these, these razor-thin razor margins. Mm. D- do you foresee load shedding now that we've got uh, statistics like these uh, available? Well, it looks like it, uh, but um, I, I think when uh, I have checked with Eskom uh, today, um, so they are reaching uh, you know margins this last week, or in fact yesterday, as low as 100 megawatts. Uh, but they do have something still up their sleeve, and that is their interruptibility contract with BHP Billiton. Uh, so that 100 megawatts does not uh, um, indicate that they can switch off uh, the aluminium smelters at BHP Billiton uh, for up to uh, two hours every three days. So <laughs> uh, I previously thought that it was two hours a week that they were allowed to shut them down, but it's uh, two hours over a three-day cycle. There are quite strict um, contractual limitations on Eskom's ability to interrupt them, uh, but they are allowed to, in terms of the existing contract, interrupt them uh, to some extent, um, and that gives them a little bit of leeway. But, of course, they can't guarantee that interruptibility because maybe they've used up their contractual allowance uh, at a particular point during a week, and then they uh, need to um, load shed, and then they haven't got that available to them contractually. So uh, it's quite a complicated uh, scenario. 
but uh, ESCOM have put in a program um, of uh, activities where they are hoping to save 2,000 megawatts from the residential sector in South Africa. Mm. And they're going to do this in three different ways, as I understand it. Firstly, they have this power alert system where they indicate on TV uh, and radio when they either sort of an orange alert or a red alert. And that's up to now. They've been able to save something like 400 megawatts, uh, you know, by going onto a red alert. Um, they also having the so-called five to nine campaign uh, or the beat the peak campaign mm. in which they having a wide uh, publicity campaign to encourage people to switch off uh, geysers, heaters and pool pumps and uh, lighting in unoccupied rooms uh, between five o'clock and nine o'clock in the evening. They also have their 49M uh, energy efficiency campaign uh, which is targeted at sort of corporate partners and their employees. Uh, and they have regular uh, press announcements. So they're hoping to be able, through these mechanisms, uh, to sort of call on uh, the domestic sector in South Africa uh, to, to reduce demand, uh, and they're hoping that that might save up to 2,000 megawatts, which is quite a tall order, I might say. Uh, you know, to be able to save 2,000 megawatts is equivalent to... Uh, switching off or sending commands to five million geezers in South Africa to switch off. Mm. Um, it's a tall order, and um, I, uh, I, I'm not confident that we're going to be able to avoid load shedding this winter. Chris Yelland is MD of EE Publishers. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Well, sugar producer Tongard Hewlett out with results for the year to the end of March today. Revenue up by 19% to 14.4 billion. Headline earnings up 19%, a similar number to just over 1 billion rand. Peter Stauder, chief executive of Tongard, joins us now. Peter, headline earnings through a billion rand for the first time and, and astonishingly good cash flow in the past year. Yeah, it was quite a, a milestone year for us. And we also look at it over a long period. Actually, in eight out of the last nine years, we improved profit from operations. So it's been quite a, a milestone year in the business. And we also had our best ever performance out of our starch business, which we were really pleased about. If we look at sugar production uh, here in South Africa, uh, as a group, sugar production was higher here in South Africa, depending on the metric, uh, whether we look at, uh, at profit or, or, or production itself. Uh, a flat year, but uh, a number of impacts in the year, not least of all the transport strike. Uh, look, essentially, the, you know, it's always important to go back to the, the big story. The, the big story here is that uh, sugar consumption is growing worldwide by 2%. It's become very expensive um, uh, to build sugar mills. Uh, there's often quite a challenge around the cane side and, and the logistics. Uh, we said with unutilized milling capacity, even after this growth in sugar production of 850,000 tons, if you had to build new mills today um, like that, it will cost you 13.6 billion rand, by the way. It will probably, from the time you start building till you get them full, take you six years. We ourselves um, are focusing intensively on the cane in the three countries we operate in most. And we've got quite a track record now. I mean, 11-12, we grew sugar production by 144,000 tons. This year we're reporting on we grew sugar production by 104,000 tons. And next year our early season forecast is that we're going to grow by 110,000 tons. It doesn't happen evenly because we're in the agricultural business. 
and um, the pace is not always the same. Two years ago, Mozambique was 42% up. This year, Zimbabwe is 28% up. And next year, will be South Africa's turn. So we'd be quite happy with how the process is unfolding. Peter, with that uh, excess milling capacity, I guess the focus now is really to get more cane planted so that in time that, that capacity is taken up. Yes, no, no, no. It's a process. Essentially, when you you make the decision to plant cane, I mean, your big investment is when you put down the the roots, uh, and that, that's an investment decision that stands for 10 years, by the way, because you can use the same roots depending on what area you're operating in up for 10 years. And then we've got different processes. In, in Zimbabwe, for example, in partnership with ABC Bank, um, uh, we've extensively developed private um, black farmers in Zimbabwe. In South Africa, we... Over the last four years, just for the small-scale farmers alone, um, uh, developed more than 14,000 hectares with them. But it's a lag there. Uh, typically in South Africa, you know, you miss one season completely. It's two seasons later where you benefit from um, this extra cane. And we've also had very good cooperation um, uh, from the government in South Africa. Uh, they've started to realize that some of the best investment you can do in the rural areas is to help the small-scale farmer and essentially put down the route as grant funding. Um, we just signed an agreement which we're very pleased about with the Ingyama Trust Board. And they control in Kazula Natal 2.7 million hectares. Uh, they've got more than 200,000 hectares they would like to see under cane, which is much more than we need. So there's a quite a nice momentum building here. And you can see it coming. I mean, there's always a lag I mean, from the time you put the roots down until you get it to your mill. But we've always got a, a good sense um, uh, when things will come. We know that Africa this year, for example, will be a good year. Peter, on the renewable energy front, uh, that gaining traction given given the Department of Energy's uh, call for for proposals on renewable energy, you will be submitting a bid for a power station. Well, look, it, it has been at, at times, um, uh, you know, frustratingly slow, particularly when you get like blackouts, um, like we've recently had again. Um, uh, in, in the process, but at the same time, one has to understand that when you work in the the energy field, and, uh, you know these are you know, a good example would be you sign an electricity agreement for 20 years. Uh, so things that take 20, you know 20 years forward are often quite slow processes. Uh, we've had very good cooperation from um, the Treasury as well as from the Department of Energy. Uh, Minister Peters has been really supportive. The, the, the big reason why they're very supportive for the sugar industry lies in the fact that it's not a big amount of electricity. It's not a sort of solution for South Africa's um, electricity need going forward, even though it is reasonably substantial. But it actually facilitates job creation in, in rural cases in and Mapolonga. Uh, typically, if you put a, you know, a three and a half hectares under cane, you've, applied, you've got one job that you've created. And, and everybody's well aware that we've got here in excess of 20,000 jobs waiting to be developed uh, but without the sugar mills having an outlet where they can use the fiber for electricity, and, and they've got ultimately and indirectly compete with Brazilians and Indians that do that, you know, we're not at a good space in the long term. So we're moving forward, and I'm, I'm actually quite excited that this will be a good year as far as that is concerned. Peter, what about properties, the land development space picking up? It's really picking up. We, we are really, you know, I'm going to have my... MD of that area, on our roadshow, did a presentation. I can tell you there's a bounce in his step at the moment, <laughs> and you'll hear it in his voice, because, again, I'm, uh, you know, we've really got a lot better of how we work in partnership with provincial government, national government, and the city. Uh, the new airport being north of the city, um, uh, some of the lower socioeconomic in developments take, like Canubia, 
coming off well. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of land also that will be what we call shovel-ready in the next year, meaning up to now we've been working on some of the bulk infrastructure and on the EIS, etc. Uh, but that land will be ready before the end of this year for people to start building. I've been following the the progress at Ridgeside, which is the piece of land between Gateway and and the M4 uh, motorway, with with keen interest. And that area has really exploded over the past 12 to 24 months. Where are you getting most interest? Okay, it, 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 it's it's all over the place. Um, uh, you know, some of the interest is even I mean, we always say that we, you know, we're quite happy also just do a bulk deal. What a bulk deal means is if if somebody you know, is keen to look at a, piece, a big piece of land and has got a plan how they will develop it that's superior to ours, we're really happy to sell them to, to them. We've got, for example, a piece, if you go north of Durban and you look at where the Sabai Casino is, mm-hmm. it's on top of a hill, then you look down, uh, there's a piece below that uh, that is now um, uh, ready for development and shovel-ready. And, and sort of places that are looking at it even are some private equity people that are good, good big land holdings in the U.K., would be looking at a piece of land like that. So, you know, there's, there's a number of things coming into play, but certainly Richard is in it. The Mshlanga Town Centre is still there. Uh, we should be about a year and see a new Canubia retail area being developed. Uh, there's a Canubia industrial side that's doing extremely well. There are a lot of people that are looking for, or a few people, that are looking for big pieces of land around the airport. You know, so they're all coming together. We're very excited. Peter Stade is the Chief Executive of Tonga Hewlett. Wayne, just before we close up, uh, the uh, question in on our SMS line on 34701, a uh, question about the weaker rand and yet industrials uh, and retail stocks in our market still largely holding up. Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of the retail, a lot of the industrial shares are perfect rand hedges, so they should hold up. But, yeah, there should be some winners and some, some losers on, on, on a weaker rand. And generally, the purely South African players are generally losers, the banks, the, the pure retailers and that. That hasn't really been the case. Now, the market is so anti the resources that the whole, that anything that's non-resource essentially is going up. Our thanks to Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth. It was a day where the JSC ended up a third of 1%, 40,998 points. Uh, we're seeing the RAND weaker, 957 against the US dollar. This has been the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. We're back at 6 o'clock on Monday, 6.30 now, and time for Game Plan.